listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking and playing soothing white noise down the headphones to make sure we are suitably head-empty, no thoughts. Oh, lovely. Uh, Thank you. Oh, wait a second. (sighs) Soothing white noise sounds a lot like heavy rain. Uh (laughs) (laughs) No. Oh, my God. (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) Turn it off, Isaac. It was it, the rain the other night in Victoria was so bad. It, I could hear it over my rain app, and it really fucked up my sleep. <laughs> Christ, uh, it's really no, got in my dumb. head a bit. Hey, because that like we just had like one uh, in the scope of things, moderately light rainfall. <laughs> yeah, that, that that it was just like, and I was just like, what's happening here? Uh, yep. P- perhaps irrationally, but <laughs> I had a, a moment because um, again, like just for context, Victoria has had one one bad night of rain. It was just heavy. Yeah, just a regular storm. But we're, but we're on high alert. But there's something broken on either our house or our neighbor's house with like a hole in a gutter. So we were woken up at like two thirty in the morning to not only like heavy lashing rain, but also this like. Sound and we're like, oh. this is fucked, and it was so fucking loud. It just kept us up, and we're like, should we go out and investigate what that is? I was like, no, I'm like, I'm tired and it's cold, and so we just sort of lay there dealing. Yeah. With it. Also, that's like a sound effect out of <laughs> annihilation or something. <laughs> no, for real, like, because in that like uh, early morning state as well, we were like, what the fuck is going on? And then eventually, it was like that is wind getting into a hole that wasn't there, like the last storm. And so I think it's just you know. Shit falling apart as happens in in you know rentals, but it was just like that's why why is that the noise? Why can't it be like gentle tinkling of some sort <laughs> or like you know a soothing rhythm? <laughs> All right, so the the second part uh, is it the second part or is it just the the twenty twenty two IPCC report and the it's 20- it's the second part. The IPCC report is made up of three large reports that are themselves all like thousands of pages long that get sort of broken up into chunks. And so last year, the the sort of the facts of the of the climate disaster unfolding before our eyes was released. And at the time, even us on this podcast were like, Boah, this seems bad, but the next one coming out is going to be, you know, talking about the social cost and, and all the rest of it. I hope it's not ignored. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dot, dot, dot. Um, it's th- th- this one is like I mean the the contents of it I I've I would say looked at too much and that is a bit um, the, the <laughs> at all <laughs> it's it's fucking grim obviously just uh, that's th- there's this sort of weird thing where the IPCC report is like one of the most important documents of our time it's describing the literal fight of our lives it's it's got all the the facts of like what's happened what's going to happen all that shit but it's also if you've been following climate change for really any point in the last 30 years, 100 years, I don't know, you're across it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. We need to stop burning fossil fuels very urgently. Otherwise, the planet will become unable to support human civilization, which is bad. <laughs> I, I, I need to um, say this quote from Antonio Guterres, who is the United Nations Secretary General. You know, talking about this report, it's written by like 270 researchers from 67 countries, and he describes the report as an atlas of human suffering and an endamming indictment of failed climate leadership. With fact upon fact, this report reveals how people in the planet are getting clobbered by climate change. God, just that 
the Atlas of Human Suffering just... Oh, yeah. It's very Elden Ring. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I'm not saying that just because I've been playing a lot of that as maybe a type of escapism. Who can say? (laughs) It's it's so weird because it's, you know, super strong language from the UN, but it feels like the UN has been using super strong language about fucking everything that happens for 20 years now. And it's like, yeah, yep, this is... This is what we. This isn't new. This isn't new information. This is what we were expecting from this fucking report. Right. Every single piece of climate change news that has come out, I'm going to say, in my lifetime, has been headline breaking news. It's worse than we thought. Yeah. That. That's it. And you just sort of like, okay, I guess it's worse than we thought. Let's just sort of uh, rank up, crank up our expectations for like how bad things are going to get. And it's actually, it's worse than that. Every every single report is like, remember that last report? Not quite dramatic enough. <laughs> the, the, the the document itself is fucked. Uh, the reason that I've been reading it a bit, I've, I've sort of tried to avoid the details of it because I am a human, uh, but the, 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 the fact that it is not written by mostly meteorologists and geologists and stuff like the, the previous ones, like the, the previous reports, it, the instances of the reports were... Sort of here's the 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 sort of like the hard science. We've got these measurements from this sort of drilled core that says that the concentration of carbon. This document they've they've got like the working group has expanded to include sociologists, psychologists, philosophers, that sort of thing. That as, as soon as I heard that, I was like, what a <laughs> what a fascinating document. What a really interesting thing to to read and know about. Uh, and then shortly after that, I was like, oh fuck. Just <laughs> yeah. smash cut to you in a shower, rocking back and forth. Like yeah. they, oh, it's like, oh, they might make it clearer and more understandable. So, oh, they've made it clearer and more oh, understandable. God. Yeah. <laughs> so the the good thing though is that clearly the members of our government are also taking careful sort of care of their psychological <laughs> health and uh, not paying any attention to it at all. Uh, the, <laughs> the <laughs> which is you know politicians are people too. Uh, <laughs> let's not forget that they bleed. Are you uh, saying the- <laughs> are you saying Angus Taylor is doing self care by not reading the IPCC report? <laughs> I think that self care is the only thing that Angus Taylor is capable of. <laughs> it's the only uh, thing he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a there's a, a bit of coverage of this uh, in uh, Renew Economy, a bit of coverage of the IPCC report in Renew Economy. They, 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 they've been talking about it a lot. Uh, they, they they summed up the government response pretty well. Um, as of Wednesday, neither the Minister for Emissions Reduction, Angus Taylor, his Assistant Minister, Tim Wilson, nor the Environment Minister, Susan Lee, have issued any formal acknowledgement of the IPCC report. Morrison himself did not mention the landmark report at all during an extended press conference on Tuesday, but in his defence, the parliamentary press gallery did not ask the Prime Minister any questions <sighs> about the report. Oh, good sledge. Good sledge. Just <sighs> Who the fuck doesn't ask? Who the fuck doesn't ask the Prime Minister about a report that talks about the Atlas of Human Suffering? <laughs> the parliamentary press gallery. Like, noted enemy of the people. No, that's great. Oh but, like, God. the press gallery are just, they're not the press, as we would mm. understand it. They're a part of the entire show of politics, which is, let's, like, it's. I think it's not even enough to say they get distracted by the most current thing. 
because we've also talked a bunch on this podcast about how they just regurgitate press releases from politicians when it suits them or it's easy. They're just part of the show. If Scott Morrison wants to make a big deal about one certain thing, the press gallery will go, oh, that's a... That is a big deal. We should talk about that and find, you know, the good and bad of that big thing. It's like, but he's dictated to you the entire limits of this conversation. Fuck that. Ask him about this IPCC report and don't let him just go, oh, no, we are working on it. Australia's going really well with our yeah. reductions. Like, We're fucking think- not, though, are we? Yeah. I think there's a, also a thing of, like, it. it, it for me, it, it shows us how far away we are from something that would be healthy, right? Because with the IPCC report specifically, like the Atlas of Human Suffering sort of thing, the sort of asking our leaders about it in an ideal world would not be, hey, why aren't you doing anything? Yeah. It should be, hey, this terrifying document has come out. What's in it, right? Like the the IPCC releases... A document that is called the summary for policymakers. That is like the the cliff notes of the thing. It's still a fairly substantial document in and of itself, but it 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 is the the document that doesn't go into all of the sort of deep details of every like research methodology and sort of all sorts of things. It's just like here's what's up. It's just a document that says here's what's up. Th- they're not paying attention to that, right? Which is it, it's the summary for policymakers, right? They are the people that should be reading it. And yes, it's a psychologically harmful document to read, but the leaders are the people who are like, I am the one who has campaigned on the promise that I will be the leader. I fought very, very hard to be in this position and I've continued to fight hard to keep it. I get paid a huge amount of money and have a lot of power. No, I didn't read the summary for the policymakers. <laughs> it made me sad. I would still like to be in the decision-making position, please. What, not even like as a, like yes, decision-making position. But there is just something like fundamental going back, you know, fucking pre-democracy even, where like leaders are the ones that say you have to do specific work. Leave it to me to not only make decisions, but to make yes. hard decisions and to take on this psychic damage for you. Well, yeah. I that's... will be the one to shoulder this burden. And what I ask in return from the people I lead is that you will all continue to do your bits to make sure our tribe, our town, our village, our city, our nation continues to function. Yeah. And like, they're not, not fucking tra- doing that. They're just going, oh, I can get rich though. Yeah, not to get dramatic, but like the threads of democracy lie, like, you know, like a social democracy lie on how much we trust a government. And mm. if yeah. and how much we trust a government to respond to something that is out of our control. You know, I can read the IPCC report and get enormous psychic damage from it and just think, oh fuck, what what can I do? I can't do anything to change the enormous you know, physical changes that every country needs to do to reverse this, it's up to governments to put the money in to stop, you know, uh, fossil fuels to do all that. And if I can't trust the government to do it or to even respond to the fact that they know that there's a problem, like, yeah. Uh, Just get out and vote. You got to get out and vote, Evie. Oh, man. Get out and vote. By the way, both parties are pretty much in agreement that gas has a continued future in Australia. So that's Man. that's good. So the, the 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 government, some of the government, is happy to talk about climate change. Uh, Pauline Hanson was on Sky News with Paul Murray <laughs> and Matt Canavan having a gab about how the whole thing is just fear mongering. 
uh, Hansen said. It has not been answered about the true science of what is happening with the global change, climate change. Climate change is happening, but it's happening naturally. There is no true science to say that human is changing it. Shut the fuck that up. Is the, that is the most tale as old as time anti-climate change line that is not changed. It has been the same line that they've said for decades now in any resistance to sort of do anything about climate change. But what really gets me is that there is such a vacuum from the government at large and the opposition. And mm. in that in that vacuum, you have these motherfuckers talking. That's really it, isn't it? Like if you have a yeah. vacuum and you have these idiots talking, who are the general public going to listen to? I think that climate action has broad support among society, but because I, I think that there's a lot of people who are like, well, we don't need to say that climate change is real then. We yeah. don't need to ever talk about it because everyone already buddy agrees. And so you end up with, like, uh, that's a sort of a fairly generous interpretation as to why they're not talking about it. One <laughs> might say that the reason that they avoid talking about it is because they get a lot of donations from the fossil fuel industry and those yeah. tend to dry up when they make noise. Yes. But I, 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 think that I think that you can have both of them. I think both of those can be yeah. true, yeah. where they say, I shouldn't talk about this because my donations dry, dry up and I don't need to talk about this because everybody already knows. So the fact that I'm not talking about it doesn't matter. It's okay. I'm getting away with it. It's fine. I, I don't think that's true. I think they genuinely see it as a neutral. I think a part of it is, Evie, to your point on the vacuum, is that you have whenever, you know, even quote-unquote progressives in the Labor Party, like, say, Jed Kearney, talk about it, they don't talk about it in the same, like, straight-ahead and unequivocal terms that mm. the opponents like Hanson and Canavan do talk about it. Those people can get on Sky News and just be like, it's bullshit, don't agree, no true science, nah, not happening. But then for Jed Kearney and whatnot, it's just like, boah, climate change is an issue and we do, we need to fix things and we're working hard on things. And so the a vacuum is partly created from other people in like Joel Fitzgibbon in the Labor Party, people like him not talking about it or denying it. But yeah. then when you have these mealy mouth responses, there's a weakness that is seized upon by people like oh, Hanson yeah. who can have a stronger, mm. harder message. And that has more cut through. Like, of course, they're not giving time to the Greens, but at least the Greens have a thing where it's like, this is fucked. As like, yeah. yes, it is. But we need Albo to be saying that sort of shit. Not yeah, coming we out. We need like Albo to go on the news to be like, oh, you say it's happening naturally, is it? Do you think that means it's okay? You know, <laughs> uranium's natural. It kills you if you stand too close to it. Fuck off. This just comes back to um, the Labor Party being afraid of being, you know, seen to be scaremongers in the same way that the Greens get framed. But this is the same thing every single time that Labor is too scared to act because they're always afraid of, you know, the Liberal Party or the LNP, like, you know, framing them in a certain way. They're still going to do it anyway. Fucking just do it. Got to watch out for that wedgie. On the plus side, though, Vic Labor has announced two gigawatts of offshore wind power will be built over the next 10 years, which that's not bad. Uh, The timeline, two gigawatts over the next 10 years and then ramping up to a total of nine gigawatts by 2040 in 18 years' time. So, I mean, given the IPC report... It feels a bit slow, but I'll I'll take it where I can get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how long it takes to build these things, but like I I mean, a timeline of ten years is still a lot better than fucking no timeline. Yeah, it's true. Um so for context, we generate about four gigawatts of power from the three aging coal plants that are in our state. They're currently scheduled to close over the next sort of similar timeline. The last one's scheduled to close in, in, in twenty forty eight. So this does look like a sort of sane uh, transition toward renewables away from fossil fuels, asterisk, assuming they actually do close those 
power plants, which, you know, we've seen power plants have trouble closing as soon as the government gets wind of the fact they might stop burning coal. Uh, (laughs) But that's still good. It's also good, not just in a climate sort of news way, but just in a sort of personal news for McLean way where I love windmills and I love to see them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they're cool. They're cool. They're cool. They're cool and like they're them. pretty. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't like them is just lame. They look sick. They look sick. They're so they're so calming. They spin at just the right speed. They're not going <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. They're going whoa. Whoa, I was waiting the for the stuff. second one. I didn't know if you yeah. were going to hit the second one. Then I was like, fuck, that is soothing, <laughs> McLean. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this, this episode, we're probably going to get pretty stressful and sad. Maybe I'll just put a little clip of the sound of a windmill at the end of it. Just going, <laughs> whoa, whoa. You can just sort of like... Just, just get come to a smooth landing from that one. But they, they, I just, I, I'll just, I'm just gonna pull up a, a little Google image tab of windmills and just look back at them, just to look at. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're so good. Ah, oh, this is so good for a podcast. <laughs> Everyone knows what a windmill looks like. <laughs> In the show notes, we'll just put like ten pictures of windmills. Yeah. For, for context, listener, it's like a tall white pole with three <laughs> sticks coming off. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's transition into something that most people listening would have heard about. Sticking to the climate shit. But the, uh, the floods in Oof. Queensland and northern New South Wales, which for a bit of personal context for me, uh, I spent uh, two-thirds of my life living there, I guess. Um, like I grew up in Brisbane before moving to the Northern Rivers and then spending more time in Brisbane. Um, I was in Brisbane during the 2011 floods, which at the time in Brisbane were like some of the worst floods we've ever seen, once in a thousand years. And I still have a lot of friends and family in Lismore who, you know, in 2017, there was massive flooding there that was like, bah, this is some of the worst flooding we've ever seen. <laughs> Once in a thousand years. And now, as we have always come to expect, we've broken new records yet again. Um, and the flooding at the moment that's been happening, you have no doubt seen it. It's fucking, it's traumatizing and equally sort of unbelievable. Um, you might have seen the pictures of the um, McDonald's with a very like larger than usual sign that the water has completely covered the Maccas itself and has gone up to the Golden Arches M. And like when I first got my peas, I would drive from Ballina to that McDonald's in Lismore oh, yeah. and like we would just do laps of like we would get like one cheeseburger each from the drive through <laughs> eat it as we would come back around to go through the drive through <laughs> again and do that for hours we thought it was funny as hell or like I would make my friends do like I would do a rolling stop at the Maccas and make them get out of a slowly moving car like stupid dumb teenage shit that's like oh that's just underwater and like the, the Southern Cross Uni that was there was an evacuation point. That was my first uni. Um, and, uh, like, the images that are coming out of there now are similar in, I suppose, theme or style to the ones that I saw during the Brisbane floods that I lived through. But there's just so much more. The scale yeah. is big. It's just streets lined with muddy personal belongings of houses that have had water go to the roof where 
people have been trapped on for days in some instances. People have been trapped in their fucking roofs in my hometown. Um, luckily for me, everyone I know is safe. Um, but I know, like, there was a, a friend of mine from high school has a fucking charity in Lismore, a food bank charity that was just totally fucking flooded. And oh, they're man. working through that now, which, like, we'll get to in a little bit. But she had a charity that could potentially be helping people. They had uh, uh, the store in Lismore and a depot in Ballina, both flooded, and so they can't help people until they clean that. Like, the scale of this shit. Also, once they finally clean it, the roads between those two towns are still fucked in areas, so they can't get there as quick as they could. Yeah, I've seen there's been doing, like, helicopter deliveries and stuff. Yeah, so, uh, like, my my mum is up on a large hill slightly out of Lismore, and uh, they have been... That, that will probably be boated out of there, but they were getting, you know, food for, by, via boat. Like, the whole area is fine, but That's they can't insane. go anywhere. There's no Good. shops. And so, like... The the devastation that has hit these areas is at such a fucking magnitude that this won't be, like, finished and mopped up inside a week. This is going to be months of fucking fixing those areas and probably not being rehabilitated to where they were because people will just fucking leave. If we're being honest, it'll probably be like the bushfires from 2020 where it'll be years and even then... It'll, well, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, even now, the, the, the so much of the disaster funding is not going towards the bushfires. Well, we'll get and we'll fucking, we'll fucking yeah, we'll get, get to, to that. that. Holy shit. But the, the, my, main, my main worry about, like, Lismore, Mullumbimby specifically is that, like, that area, fucking Emerald Moon on Serious Danger, uh, she's from Lismore as well, that area, she, she called it a walk. And it totally is. I've heard oh it called here. It's a yeah. it's a hole. It is it is <laughs> oh, literally Jesus. Lismore floods every fucking year. It's just built down the bottom of a big hole. But it is. It's shaped like a fucking wok. And oh. this water just pours into it all the time. And with a flood this fucking intense, this quick, people aren't going to go back. Insurance companies oh, yeah. already weren't providing the correct insurance at a reasonable price for people after 2017. So they haven't been insured either. And so all of this is uh, a way to get to the fact that what is needed to help people to the bare fucking minimum, just to start a new life somewhere else or to not even rebuild, but at least, you know, clear the area to, to make sure that support can get there properly. This What's is- needed is any type of government support in any way, and there's fucking none. Yeah, a government <laughs> that was interested in helping. <laughs> there is fucking none. And I, I, I can't stress that when we talk about it, when I say none, I mean literally fucking none. The army wasn't deployed for about four to five days, and in some areas oh there God. is literally no SES, army funding, whatever. It's just community-led operations helping people. Yeah. The, gov- the disaster fund, there's nearly $5 billion sitting there, which we we should go into now. $5 billion yeah. disaster fund that was set up specifically around the bushfires hasn't been deployed and instead has just been gathering hundreds of millions of dollars of, of interest that the government look at and go, can't use it yet because it's the last resort fund and so we need to spend other funding first. And people go, well, let's spend that funding. And they go, no. We better we better save that funding for for a natural disaster of some kind. We you know we'd hate to spend it on the flood. What if something bad happens? Yeah, last week the government literally said 
as the floods were starting to reach their peak, they said like, oh, well, we need to save it for like extreme situations. This is an extreme situation. This yeah. is it. And even if like, that doesn't even make sense, this is for, this is, this is literally a natural disaster. This is what it's meant for. Um, but like the thing I was just thinking about before as well is that whenever I see these kind of natural disasters happen and like a lot of these areas are built on floodplains where flooding does happen, but it has happened at much lower levels historically, and this is why, you know, you, ref- you always see the once-in-a-lifetime sort of reference. Even with that, I always see people commenting, oh, but they're on a floodplain. They already know they're living in a dangerous area. Why don't they just move out? How do you – what do people think moving out entails? You're moving your entire life. You can't sell your house because it lives in a floodplain. Who are you going to sell like sell that house to? You need help oh, because you have to man. turn your entire life around. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's also the fact that like oh they they built on a floodplain they should know that they're that they're prone to flood maybe there's some sort of centralized authority that sort of does the studies of where is safe to build and says here is safe to build and the people who are building listen to that authority <laughs> Maybe something like that has been set up and does exist and that authority said it's safe to build there, let's go, we're approving this for development. Even now they're still approving developments in oh my God. flood prone areas. You, you, the, 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 the picture that was going around on social media of the, 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 the flood, like just the you know, enormous swimming pool, this lake with a sign poking out of it saying, you know, uh, new developments coming soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I looked up that development and they were like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to be building this apartment block, but we have, like, you know, innovative flood mitigation techniques. Maybe you shouldn't be building there. Just a thought. Maybe maybe yeah. it's a bad idea. Innovative flood mitigation techniques. Stop burning fossil fuels. The, the <laughs> <laughs> um, but, y- yeah, like – the. Planning departments exist. The idea that, like, oh, this dumbass citizen built their house in a place that was approved by the planning department, they should know better than to listen to them. How? How should they? Why were we expecting the the sort of the general population to have the, the level of sort of understanding of planning requirements higher than the planning department? Yeah. That's such a, a wild sort of assumption, assess, you know, like expectation to have of society. Like, let some people just live their fucking life without having to have a science degree. Like, people, not everybody well, should have a science degree. We should have leadership that can say, we understand the problem and we're working to fix it, rather than none of it's our problem. We're just approving whatever. It, it's, it's crazy. It's madness. This is highlighting exactly what the issue is when governments aren't taking climate change seriously. It, it, yes. It, it filters mm. down. It's not just, well, shut all the coal mines, Adani won't exist. It filters down to local councils going, hmm, should we update this very small minutiae on where and how to build houses? Given that, at the moment, this type of flooding is only supposed to happen once a century and now it's happened twice in five years. Yeah. Like that this is this is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to governments taking climate change seriously. Mm. Just speaking to your point Mitch about like local communities and like you know media coverage and that sort of thing. One thing that's really come to light in this entire thing that always keeps coming up when there is a natural disaster in the last, you know, 10 years or so is that local community media has just been completely extinguished it's been bought up in a lot of cases by bigger media companies like murdoch has brought up countless local uh, news outlets the abc is pretty much the last bastion left in all these places and you know you can only imagine what kind of shoestring budget they're on but 
News is really hard to get out and into those towns when there is an emergency because there is nothing local based there. Like, if you don't have a local yeah. newspaper, if you don't have a local radio station, how the fuck are you going to tell people as a whole in a broadcast that they're in danger? Yeah. We talked about this a while ago, but, like, the ABC, when they had their funding cut, one of the things they were talking about cutting is, have like, the amount of rural radio stations that are out oh, there. Oh, gosh. And this is exactly what they're for. When, uh, when something like this happens, whether it's bushfires or flooding or any sort of natural disaster, you chuck on the local ABC radio and they keep everything up to date. They give you the most up-to-date information. The SES goes to them to broadcast to to the people what they need to do, where they need to go. And there were reports coming out from, like, my friends who were fucking stuck on roofs or friends of friends who they didn't hear from for, like, fucking an hour after they were like, oh, the water's up to the fucking roof. They could not get any information because when they were tuning in for, say, Mullumbimby, all they could hear was the reports for Lismore. Oh, because God. the local, yeah. the very small local areas were being cut. And so the extremely small local radio stations and media people were going above and beyond in all fucking instances. Like, you're, you're 100% right, Evie, in that, like, the community is what counts. And, you know, large federal governments, state governments can cut as much as they want and try to homogenize all these places as much as they want. But it's just not the reality that that works when supply lines and systems collapse like this. Yeah. You only have the local area because you're a human that takes up dimensions in space and is situated in a township. It's just, it's literal. I also think that, like, I think it's absolutely correct to describe that as a collapse of the sort of systems and structures that we have in place to prevent that kind of tragedy or to mitigate that tragedy when that kind of natural disaster happens. That, like, yes, it's collapsed, but it's collapsed because it's been consistently undermined by the government yeah. on purpose. Like, yeah. they have been openly waging war on the ABC for years and oh, this yeah, is yeah. the outcome of it. It's it's, it's the, the war on the ABC, the war on disaster response, right? Like, the, 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 they've set this up with the bushfire funding, with the coronavirus response as well, which was so much left up to the states, with the, 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 the um, you know, the environment, that this actual driver of these these natural disasters. Like, in every conceivable metric, the, the floods in Queensland and New South Wales are the, the act of the government on the people to the same degree as if they dropped a bomb. Like, it's it's on them. Yeah. yeah no, 100%. Because I, I mean, I didn't mean the collapse of, like, local... Oh, no, no I wasn't, like, trying to say, like, oh, you called it a collapse. You're wrong about that. I, <laughs> I, like, I, I think collapse is right. Like, if you... No, I'm saying I'm saying different things. I'm saying that different things collapsed. It, I'm, not, I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not, I'm saying that, like, when literal supply lines go down, you can't have the state radio station talking about shit. Yeah. And that, and that is the thing is the, the the undermining is also this idea of like oh well fucking why does Byron Bay need to have a different radio station to Newcastle they're rural enough Coffs Harbour right. Newcastle Byron Bay <laughs> Lisbon that's they can all deal with the one radio station they fucking cannot we've got a tall buildings radio station and we've got a short buildings <laughs> radio station and that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> We've got fast talkers and slow talkers. And, and not to draw a really long bow, but this is the kind of stuff that makes me think defederation is like a really great idea because it's like one of those things that like if the if the federal government keeps on letting you down um, when it it tells you to your face that you as an individual or your individual community which is not homogenous doesn't matter, how much of it are you going to take? How many yeah. times is this going to happen? <laughs> I think 
I think that that's fuck yeah, Lin Manuel Miranda. Let's go, Hamilton. Fucking <laughs> rise up. How many times is this going to happen? Where like we just yeah. like every time every time a federal government says that they're going to cut tax, I see that as a fuck you. I see that as oh, a for sure. as a you know we're cutting down the pot in which people put in money to help each other. That is a fuck you. Like if if you're not spending that money, then. That means we're not, you know, nothing, we're not getting anything and nobody's coming to save us when the crunch comes. I think that that's true, but I don't think that's necessarily an argument for defederation. Oh, I just say we should do it anyway. That is, (laughs) I I think there's nothing inherent about the current Australian government that locks them into this particular course of action. I think it's just that everybody in that government is evil. I think that we should, (laughs) instead of defederating, just like get rid of them personally and replace them with people. Who are better? <laughs> who? So, who specifically would you be talking about here? Because I've got, I've got one cunt in mind. It's piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> You've got one person in mind. I have just looking up the Wikipedia page for the structure of the Parliament of Australia. Two hundred twenty-seven <laughs> people in mind. <laughs> minus one because Adam Bant's really good. He's okay. <laughs> he's, he's. I don't know. Minus half a dozen, maybe. <laughs> so, like, just to just to jump in on the fucking some of the people in. Parliament, who like and federally, we mentioned it up the top, are not releasing nearly five billion dollars worth of funds, which itself has garnered eight hundred and thirty-six million dollars of fucking interest. It's just sitting there at the moment. Is the thought there that they 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 keep the five billion dollars in a bank account so that they just have a continual influx of interest yes. to? Channel so to their mates? That, it really does that, seem that No, way, not it? to their mates. <laughs> yeah, you, you were right until you veered into clear defamation. So, no, of course not, McLean. <laughs> oh, no, it's not defamation if I'm just talking about a body. I would never put a name to that. <laughs> um, but, no, so the, the, the money sits there and they are doing the fiscally responsible thing in that they're not letting it sit there and not gather interest. They're letting it gather interest so that when they need to use it, there's more. They haven't yeah. defined when they need to use it, though, and it looks like they'll never fucking use it because we've had two major catastrophes and they haven't released it. And they certainly can't say we're saving it for a rainy day with a straight Fuck off. (laughs) All right. But so what have some politicians decided to do or say around this? Uh, The main one that just fucking, uh, I'm still not over it. Uh, Peter Dutton started a GoFundMe. Good on Mm. you, man. Thanks heaps. $25,000 from a multimillionaire. Really good. Who, by the way, as well, it was for $25,000. They've, they've smashed that goal. $27,640 at the, at the time of recording, uh, with a top donation from Robert White of $15,000. So it's bullshit. It failed. It's no good. Thanks a lot, Peter Dutton, you fuck. Oh, Peter Dutton but put in, wait, 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 wait. Maybe Peter Dutton put in $2,500. <laughs> God damn it. Just, but like, it's oh. just so, it's so fucking evil to just like, you are literally, this is your seat. Like, you know, you have a personal interest in your community here and your response is, that's crazy. Good luck, though. And putting, a, like, a GoFundMe link. It, it, it defies belief that yeah. someone could think that this is a reasonable response. And in a way, like, it's very on brand for Peter Dutton as well. It's not even a reasonable response from him just as a private citizen because he also just sued a refugee advocate for making a tweet and got more money from that than he's asking for this GoFundMe. So he could just fund yeah. it out of his own pocket. He's a fucking multimillionaire. He spends, uh, he has a lot of taxpayer dollars on dinners. Uh, fuck him. Absolutely fucking disgusting. But I'm not it's confident- also worth 
saying that the actual usage of this funds uh, is uh, a little bit means tested, maybe. Um, I'm just looking at the flood relief uh, form on Peter Dutton's own website uh, with a, a bunch of caveats. Support can only be provided to residents, business organizations or groups in the federal electorate of Dixon because let's make sure that we're uh, doing some election campaigning while we're doing flood it's relief. fucking oh. poor oh. um, just, just make sure that you attach some photos of the damage so that we know that you were actually affected by the flood because maybe there's some members in the federal electorate of Dixon who were just fine uh, and obviously uh, include a scan of your driver's license as well. So. He's <laughs> pork barreling, but through a GoFundMe. This is the worst timeline. This is fucked. Anyway, let's not let's not oh, stick gross. to Dutton because yeah. what a shock. Peter Dutton's evil. But <laughs> another one that has has come out, which is totally fucked, is uh, Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk, who who started fine started doing the bare minimum and then just fucking did that meme where she like drifted onto an off-ramp just super fucking (laughs) quick out of nowhere so the, the quote from her in the media is let's face it it is climate change i have never seen so many natural disasters we seem to be dealing with more and more more cyclones more floods a couple of years ago the commissioner and i were talking the other day we had the catastrophic fire event in central queensland she then follows that with Queensland is lucky. We have coal, we have gas, and we have renewable investment, which is going to really rapidly increase over the next 10 years. What the fuck are you talking about? Oh, boy. The idea that what she wants to do in the mind of people listening is connect safety and security during unprecedented flooding with coal and gas. Yeah. Oh, oh luckily we've got that coal and gas. If I were a resident yeah. of Queensland, oh, I'd be listening to that and being like, cool, nobody's coming to save us. Yeah. This is it, isn't it? I mean, I've had a really rough last couple of weeks. Just seems like everything's gone wrong for me, but luckily I've got this curled monkey paw <laughs> lucky charm. <laughs> so that's the thing that really takes the edge off. It's just and so it's it's whether it is completely craven and opportunistic and an, and an, an attempt to like signal to lobbyists and the people that fund them that, hey, we've still got your interest, don't worry about it. Or if it's just like total fucking ignorance and tone deafness, I, I, I don't know. But all of this shit coming out just speaks to the fact that the government either doesn't care or hates you and is glad it's happening to you. The, so between like, so Dutton and Palaszczuk was one thing. But then this fucking guy, Shane Stone, I don't know. I, I just, this I've never heard motherfucker. Him yeah. He's just yeah, sort he's of. New. He pops up and sort of just says some really fuck stuff and then scuttles away back to his like funnel web hole before he comes back again. So <laughs> in 2019, he was the drought coordinator and he said, Oh, my view is the climate's always been changing, very Hanson like. Quote, if you want to draw me into that debate, you've really asked the wrong question. Whether I believe or don't believe in climate change is really quite irrelevant to what I'm doing. Which means that he doesn't. Right, yeah. It's not a thing that you have to mince words over if you do believe in climate change. Right. You can just... But also like... Even the worst take, you could go, yeah, it's climate change, but right now I'm concerned about making sure communities have water or that these fires are put out. Like, you could say that, but it's just straight up climate denying during that. Anyway, uh, through these uh, floods now, he's he's come out. He said, you've got people who want to live among the gum trees. What do you think is going to happen? Their house falls in the river and they say it's the government's fault. <sighs> oh, my fucking God. First off, 
No one is saying it's the government's fault insofar as the government came along and pushed their house into the fucking river. Yeah? That's Mm. fucking disgusting. But to say that there are some people who want to live somewhere and that when things of this magnitude happen to them, it's their fault, with the further imputation being that they need to look after themselves and they should be fucking thankful for the meagre scraps the government is giving them, is genuinely a soulless evil thing to say. That is unconscionable. I just need to point out that as like he is the head of the National Recovery and Resilience Agency, um, which is an agency that was basically a merge of a whole bunch of like other emergency agencies, once again, cutting funding and merging all of these together. So there was like an expansion to include um, a drought and recovery agencies. It was renamed into a new national uh, flood response and recovery agency. Um, They, yeah, like there was a whole bunch of like mergers and, um, you know, sucking up other ones and like just the idea that someone who is at the head of an agency that is supposed to help people in their worst moments of their lives is like actually like this the thing I was saying before he said that like he suggested that people who lived in those flood-burned areas they they shouldn't rebuild their homes and they need to face realities cool are you going to help them face that reality are you going to pay for them to be moved Elsewhere? Yeah. Their reality is shaped by your response. You are directly responsible for their reality. (sighs) They probably should rebuild their homes if they're in an area that's going to kill them. Like, yeah. But you're the head of the agency that's meant to recover from this shit, who's meant to be building that resilience. If you're like, well, (laughs) they shouldn't have done that. Like- (laughs) <laughs> oh my what, god! What sort of strategy is that? It's also that- it's also looking at the past as an excuse for the future. This idea of like, oh, what did you think was going to happen? Who gives a fuck, mate? Fix it now. The thing has happened. You are in charge of fixing it now. It's such a bastardry of learning the lessons from the past to help the future, because for him, looking at the past is well, it's your fault if you're in the same position rather than we should help you if you're in that position so you don't get hurt next time. And, like, just even just one thing that really just got me when I saw the name of this agency, the Recovery and Resilience Agency, the word resilience has been so fucking battered over the last 10 years. I feel like it's something that's really come up in terms of anti-climate change action people choosing to use this and this is the phase we talk about where like people who resist any sort of like you know meaningful change they either they got they start at denial and then they deny 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 and then when it's too late they they go well we'll just have to live with it we'll have to like prepare people and make them like okay it's happening now it's too late to change it and the word resilience is so abused in this situation because for them resilience is like a lot of platitudes and not actually we're going to help you recover. Well, here's the thing as well is we've got this sort of the idea of resilience being abused. Fuck the IPCC report is a fascinating document. This this <sighs> is part of it. They've actually started addressing this thing that they call maladaptation, right? Which is when you do something under the sort of veneer of like, oh, this is to to help in like climate change, that sort of thing, that actually makes things worse. And this is a really common thing. The, the, the IPCC report covers this saying, we actually just need to 
also be careful about the things that we're doing. Because there's examples that we've got. There's um, this, uh, whatchamacallit, this, uh, this guy, Ed Carr, who's uh, one of the IPCC authors. Um, we're finding that there are many cases in which adaptation projects don't work. Some have actually made things worse. Building a dam, for example, to prevent urban flooding may help protect a small amount of area for a limited time period. But if the measure you put in place has negative consequences along the rest of the river, that can make things worse in the long run. That's maladaptation. Um, there's this other article uh, that was talking about they built um, seawalls in Ghana to prevent the erosion of uh, a beach, uh, and the storm walls worked really well. The erosion of the beach stopped, and so the government worked with some real estate developers to build a whole series of beachfront chalets over that. Oh, my like- God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> Oh, that's oh my god! Fuck me, Dad! <laughs> Holy what is shit! I, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, you know what? There is a chance that it's not even fucking fossil fuel execs at this point. It's just property developers. Even fucking Shell and Exxon are like, all right, let's get into green energy. I guess BlackRock <laughs> are going, all right, let's reinvest. And property developers are like, oh, beachfront, right? What are the beachfront property? Let's not change laws. Let's just do property beachfront and floodplain yeah. property. I mean, we. Do see this with like you know oh the wind the windmills the the beautiful scenic the windmills Fucking they're ruining, ruining the, the view. view. <laughs> that was the how dare you? I, I remember how insane that was. I remember that entire period. Fucking there was a whole there was a whole little astroturfing front called Stop These Things. I'm I'm serious. Oh, it was yeah. called Stop These Things. Stop these things. And, and it, like it was all just about the aesthetic ugliness of windmills, which is insane to me because windmills are Bro. beautiful. They're gorgeous. I mean, fucking, there's so many people that are fucking susceptible to this. Even Bob Brown has like spoken yes, about like, new oh. wind farms in Tasmania. <laughs> the old leader of the Greens, the fucking activist himself, Bob Brown came out against wind farm. He was like, we need more wind farms in Tassie. And they went, what about here? And he went, not there. That's where I like that area. Not here, though. What are you talking? And as McLean has said emphatically, windmills are cool wherever they go. They're cool and they're beautiful and they're good and they're noble. <laughs> Look, I just want to—I just want to end the chat on the floods by saying that you know, if if you're in Lismore, Northern Rivers area, or Brisbane, listen to this. If I fucking know you personally, um, hit me up. I don't know what I can do personally from down here, but I know a lot of people in that area personally, so you can hit me up. Um, and I suppose hit the pod up as well. We'll, we'll put a link to a bunch of different charities in the show notes because, as you can expect, there's also some grifters. Um, so you do need some to do some of those some grifters bit. are running GoFundMe. <laughs> <laughs> some, yeah, some of those grifters are in fucking federal government. Um, <laughs> but I mean, f- fuck me, stay safe. Don't drive through flood water. Don't do swim what you in flood can water to help people. Don't yeah. swim in it. You'll get gastro at the best of times. It's it's gross. But um, stay safe and healthy and as dry as you can. And also to everyone that is helping to clean and rebuild my hometowns. Thank you so much. I feel impotent being down here and I would like to get up there and do what I did during the Brisbane floods in 2011 and I can't. And the people doing that are gorgeous beings of light who uh, should run as an independent Um, or, you know, (laughs) you you deserve thanks. You don't deserve to be doing the work that you're doing and you shouldn't be filling in the gaps left by the federal and state governments. But I've seen some of the work that you've all been doing and I love you for it. So thank you. Yeah. There's, there's, whatchamacallit, we bandy around the term evil on the pod a fair bit and it's got one of those that's like, oh, it's, it's a bit hard to say. Hero is another one of those words, I think. 
Or just, yeah, <laughs> like the opposite of evil being, you know, good. There are some good, fucking yeah. <laughs> good people out there. Uh, I don't want to say it lightly, but I think the people helping with the flood response are good. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm so glad I got to do my little special comment at the end of this pod today because um, I'm sure our regular listeners would know, me as the jock of the pod, um, would be very impacted by um, the the untimely death of um, the just phenomenal cricketer Shane Warne. I can't even... I can't even put into words because if I start talking about it, I start getting emotional. Um, it's so I'm not even a jock, and I'm like, I can't believe Warney's dead. Yeah, I know. I have absolutely no connection to him through <laughs> cricket, and even then, he is a fixture of the landscape of celebrities from my childhood for sure. It, it, it's yeah. it's literally it. Um, like he is such a cornerstone of Australia that it's just really hard to believe that he's gone. Like, uh, it's so funny. Someone was, like, describing, like, hearing about him dying as, like, the moment they heard Princess Diana died. Yeah, he's the people's princess. That's literally it. (laughs) I I care so much. I have cared so much about Shane Warne's life since I was a child that it is really fucking incredible to, like, come to terms yeah. with the fact that he's gone. He it's not just a childhood thing too. Um something I've been trying to like communicate to people in Australia is like, yeah, he's like a big part of millennials' childhoods, uh, you know, and a big feature of Australian life. But he is easily the most popular Australian full stop in the world. And by that I mean he is so revered and admired and loved in the subcontinent that you know, there were journalists talking about people openly crying in the streets when they found out that he had died. Um, yeah. You know, he has done so much for cricket at large, um, you know, and even going to India and, you know, starting up. Um, he's single-handedly responsible for the launch of, like, the success of the launch of the IPL there. Um, you know, he was retired from cricket here and he just went there for, like, another few years and coached and played. Um, and, like, nice. look, I can talk about all, like, all those things, but he's also like he was a fucking idiot. But he was our idiot. <laughs> he's a himbo. He, he was a himbo. He was an idiot. absolute moron at times, but like he was <laughs> our moron. God damn it! Like I think that's the, he was such a he was sort of it, 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 the, a lot gets said about like the Australian spirit, and I think that of all the sort of like actual people that exist, Shane Warne exemplified it the most, <sighs> which is like, oh yeah, he's a dickhead. <laughs> yeah, I think like the parallel for me was like uh, Steve Irwin being like an internationally revered Ocker Australian sort of guy, but he was too cheery and not loose enough. Like, right? Like, sh- like the stories coming out now about Shane Warne, like so sneaking funny. off to get chips and gravy when he's supposed to be on a diet, smashing oh, cigarettes man. and having threesomes till the early hours, keeping his fucking, fucking like neighbors awake. <laughs> Getting tanked all the time, having like just that type of looseness is is the Australian spirit of just like that's that's bloody warning. Shane Warne was Australia's bad influence mate at the barbecue. Yeah. Like the one guy that's like clacking the tongs when you get there and you're like, oh bloody, here's trouble. Oh, no. and like, yeah. Here he comes. <laughs> yeah, like that's it. Like he's what Australians like to think they are. That's it. That's I think we we rag a lot on Australians being just fucking, you know, measly cops when their own little fiefdoms. They, we fucking love dobbing on people, blah, blah, blah. But you're 100% right in that, like, he was 
an exceptionally gifted sportsman. He was extremely loose with his, like, training. Well, not his training, but around the training. He didn't keep up physical perfection all the time because he was just also human. that li- He liked to indulge in shit. And he was just... He was the epitome of head empty, no thought sometimes. <laughs> But then when he wanted to, could launch into extremely detailed breakdowns of technical cricket plays and whatnot because he he was he had his passion as well. But the fact that he also like passed away in Thailand in his villa at such a young age is just like what are like we because we we in Australia use terms like good innings when we when people pass away and they yeah. usually it's for people in their late eighties like fucking good innings on that. There is no way you can look at Shane Warne's life and go, oh, he wasted some time or he didn't live every single day exactly how he wanted to. I cannot (laughs) think of anyone else who has had more of a life in his life than Shane Warne. Um, He's had two and a half at least. (laughs) It's so funny to me that like 90% of the anecdotes um, about Shane Warne, and there have been hundreds, just he is someone as well who, like, regardless of his fame, like, people talk about how being down to earth and everything like that. I don't think you get more down to earth than Shane Warne. Like, he's he'd spent hours with people signing autographs and just, like, <laughs> talking to them in public. There's a really funny anecdote that just, like, for some reason really hit me and made me cry yesterday where um, this person was talking about how they were on holiday at the beach and Shane Warne was there with his family and he was just talking to like this this eight-year-old of this guy and mm. just having a really detailed <laughs> conversation about ice cream flavours. Oh, like nice. <laughs> just time for everyone. But also there's there's stories about how he would spend hours in Instagram DMs just chatting with women. Just yeah. you know, just like, oh well, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm Shane Warne. I'm fucking hi, what's up? Yeah. And like if I was Shane Warne, fucking oath, I would be in DMs as well. It's like I'm Shane Warne. There's like one last bit to talk about with Shane Warne, I think, is uh, his comments on climate change were also ones that <laughs> yes. maybe it'd be nice. Like just I I'm just gonna read out a little bit and you should think uh, would this person, uh, who's an absolutely loose unit, who we've correctly described as like a dickhead <laughs> idiot, idiot who spends a lot of time in DMs on Instagram with women, right? Should this person be Prime Minister instead of Scott Morrison? <laughs> where he says, at times in the past, it's been hard to know who to believe, but I think we all have to admit now that climate change is a huge issue. This is from some years ago, so I, I think we can give him some benefit of the doubt there. Scientists with proven facts are telling us things we can't dispute about the rising temperatures, the rising sea levels. I'm lucky enough, as he's talking about how he's on uh, committees talking about how, how cricket is going to be affected by, by climate change. I'm lucky, I'm lucky enough to be on these committees with some very intelligent people, and I hope they can come up with something. I'm more than happy to just put my hand up and sit down at a roundtable discussion. I've got three children, 22, 20, and just about to turn 18. It's a different world for them. People want to put their head in the sand and say, I'm not going to be around in 50 years. That's just wrong. Oh, my God. Fucking I miss him hell. so much. That's that's an attitude that we need. Like This, this guy's not <laughs> directing policy. He's just saying... I don't know tons about climate change, but I'm around people who do. They're telling me, telling me to be worried about it, so I am worried about it, and we should do something. That's, I'm going to say that that's obviously the bare minimum, but that's like he's fucking hit that bare minimum. <laughs> that's what you. That's what you want people in parliament to be doing. A hundred percent that. I have the power to surround myself with the brightest minds of this country and internationally to listen to them to guide what I should do for the people of my country. And so instead we've got a fucking spin cricketer going, that sounds like a good idea. And then Scott Morrison being like, ah, nah, what if I just get rich? (laughs) 
yeah, just going back to Shane too, like, yeah, he, he he's a dumbass, but also like clearly able to listen to the situation at hand. And it, that's why it really bums me out as well whenever like, you know, some uh, an athlete that really clearly means to a lot a lot to a lot of people dies and has mm. clearly had a personal impact on them. And you see people go like, oh, but what did he do aside from throw a ball or something like that? No, these people have influence, you know. These people get into the just the heart of what it means to be a person. I, I know this sounds dramatic, but it really, it's true. Like if you're not... If you're not watching, if you're not, if, okay, if you take away sport from the equation, what do you have? You, you Like, you've got the arts, fine. You've got, like, books and things like that. This still requires, like, you know, a, everything that you do that's a personal interest outside labour still requires a certain level of, like, being provided things, like, to be able to participate in it. And the thing with people who say sports ball, they're the ones who are, like, the wealthy who gate the arts off for themselves and collectively all we have left is sport. You know, sport people, is for everyone. People who say sports ball are also the ones that like the opera and shit like that. That's bad. Yeah. Oh. But like, see, that's a, that, that is a that is a thing that like in philosophy there is a term called a deepity, where it's when it is like a phrase or a point or whatever is either like true but trivial or not true, but if it was, it would be fucking monumentous. And so when they say like, you know, sports is frivolous, sports is, you know, a frivolous thing. Like on one on one hand, like, yeah, so is everything else. Like, oh, art, oh, you're just looking at some bloody splotches of colour on a canvas or you're listening to sound yeah. waves. And it's not essential to your survival. It's like it, it doesn't keep you alive like air, water and food does. So it's this frivolous thing. And like in that instance, yeah, okay, but we're not talking about that. Sports, music, art, fucking friendship, hanging out in a park – all of those things are deeply, deeply meaningful to people. Yeah. And if you don't feel deeply moved by sports, that's fine. Billions of other people do. Yeah. I, In my early 20s, I didn't like sports and I was one of those sports ball people. Now in my early 30s, I don't like sports, but I fucking love what it does for other people. I can, I have a cricket pitch within earshot of my house and every weekend they go hard playing cricket <laughs> that then turns into like a 90s hits party up until like nine or ten most Hell nights. Yeah. <laughs> and they sound like they're fucking enjoying themselves in a like fulfilling community-driven way. Shut the fuck up about sports ball <laughs> being lame. Of course it is. It's also really fun. Just have fun. You grumpy fuck. <laughs> I think there's a, a real sort of phenomenon among people who consider themselves to be intellectual <laughs> to just look at something that is clearly very popular and sort of just brush it off with like, they're probably dumb yeah. rather than I'm missing something here. Yeah, right? I don't have like, any th friends. Th th that doesn't come up. Oh, I'm definitely. I'm not missing something here. I have a full appraisal of the situation. Thank you very much. <laughs> and the conclusion that I've arrived at is all of them are dumber than me. That's the <laughs> only possible outcome. That like you see that all the time as well with just like atheism and I mean every, like examples of this on every point of the political spectrum. Just yeah. this this whole thing like you know the, the, uh, people who are. Um, writing off the anti-vax movement is just like they're all stupid all yeah. of them like yeah. clearly there's something going on and if you're just going to be like dumb it's the 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 root cause of that is dumb 
That's yeah. that's all. Don't need to think about it. It's just dumb. How can you possibly address it? How can you possibly address any problem if you're just like, well, the strategy is, my strategy is I'm just going to assume that my enemy's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> surely that's a surely that's a route to victory. I'm not I'm not saying that sports are the enemy. <laughs> but I think that there's just a tendency among people who think they're smart to write off huge sections of the population as stupid and just ignore entire classes of social phenomenon. Oh yeah, like yeah. like classing anyone as like dumb for paying attention to Shane Warne or loving him is literally it it is dismissing literal billions of people. And the impact that he had on their lives very visibly. And, like, Mm. that's what sport does. Like, uh, just to, like, paraphrase something that was actually in a biography of Shane Warne, you know, sports is an escape. It's better than life. Um, the, 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 the way the writer puts this is like, you know, life is big and messy and confusing and contingent and you have to make decisions on the basis of like imperfect information that you have with very finite resources. But sport's very unambiguous and unadulterated it offers us like, you know, a simple mm. question, an unqualified answer. And then when something really magic happens in the middle of that, it is phenomenal. Like the uh, Shane Warne is very specifically so beloved as a sportsman because as a leg spin bowler, he is one of maybe single digits existing in the last hundred years who could bowl the way that he could. Like if you see like some of the videos that people have been posting in the last few days, it seems just incomprehensible the things that he does as a sportsman the man's a wizard yeah and like just to see that kind of magic that has power over people and that is something worth thinking about like you know that's that's something that has like you know people see that in this country and think wow like this is someone who like has the ability to change how people enjoy something and like you know his victory is our victory you know if if a passage of a poem has moved you to tears if a painting has shocked you into a new awareness or if discovering a new castle and beating a boss has given you an adrenaline rush from Elden Ring, <laughs> then shut the fuck up about sports ball because it's the exact same thing. It's, it's the same sa- thing. You just don't have <laughs> access to that one specific thing, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing. No, nah, I'm not missing out, Mitch. They're just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to finish on one last thing, which is like, um, so the MCG... Um, Daniel Andrews announced that the Southern Stand is going to be renamed after Shane Warne, which is fantastic. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a mark of how beloved he is, not in Australia, but also Victoria. Um, and uh, th- there were a few complaints from these kind of sports ball people. A- a- and one of the complaints was like... Um, oh, this is just uh, on social media? Yeah, just on, on, just on social media. It was like, oh, I, I don't understand why we don't like call... Uh, buildings after scientists and that sort of thing. And obviously that is – that's already happened. That's not a real complaint. Buildings are right, called yeah, after We name scientists. wings of universities after scientists all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to point out that, like, Shane Warne could have very easily, you know, just made a piece of mouldy rock melon, but Howard Florey would not be able to get 700 wickets. So <laughs> that's that. A legend. Fucking, I'm God McLean, bless you, Shane not Warner. saying that not saying that sports is the enemy. Evie drawing <laughs> fucking battle lines against scientists. <laughs> yeah. That's my battle line, and I'll die on it. <laughs> Actions this week. 
Uh, if you can, donate to help the flood-affected people in northern New South Wales and Queensland. Mentioned it before earlier in the app, but we've got some links of our own in the show notes. Um, but just make sure you're vetting them um, to you know make sure it's not going to a grifter or whatnot. There are some really good community organizations doing good work. Um, so if you can um, uh, donate money, if you know for sure that some areas are in need of manpower or specific goods, then definitely donate. But there is always a risk that donating anything other than money can just clog the system. You might accidentally get in the way. You might be sending, you know, food stuff that will get spoiled or mattresses that will just be put into landfill, blah, blah, blah. So double check mm, that you're doing the best you can. Take a little time now instead of just sort of knee-jerk responding to it. And that way you can be sure that your voluntary efforts are, are maximised. Um, another thing to do, given the world, uh, is read a book called Warmth uh, by Daniel Sherrill. Um, I've read it. It is, uh, it's not entirely a balm, but it is a very good read that goes into thinking about and talking about and processing the world as it currently is. So I'd recommend it. Yeah, I've I've also read it. I think we've spoken about it on the pod maybe a couple months ago. Mm. Um, yeah. But it's just, yeah, this very good book about, it's a, he's a long-term climate activist. And the book is just about his sort of emotional journey through climate activism and how he marries the sort of like looking directly at climate change with you know how to grapple with the sort of enormity of that as a human who has a heart mm. um and it's yeah it's a really beautiful book um and i think it was really helpful to me as well just to see somebody else grappling with that it's it's very difficult and i i yeah i found it again, yeah again definitely not a balm but <laughs> just helpful maybe maybe an ointment yeah <laughs> uh, i have two um actions this week um two youtube uh clips Number one, 10 unforgettable deliveries bowled by Shane Warne. Number two, <laughs> number two, if you want to see how beloved Shane Warne was, just watch the Kath and Kim episode with him in it. <laughs> I won't tell you anything yeah. more about it, but it's just, yeah. Like, I mean, him, like um, Sharon loving Shane Warne is such a big part of the show, but he's actually in that episode. So, um, yeah, it's fabulous. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. Uh, get in touch with us. Have a chat. We're on all the socials at NotGoodPod, or you can even shoot us an email at NotGoodPod at ProtonMail.com. We genuinely do love hearing from everyone. Um, if you're an expert and we fuck something up, then definitely send us a correction, uh, unless it's yeah. about sports ball, in which case, boo. Yeah, you're probably uh, <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but also, like, just just if you want to have a chat about anything, if you want to discuss any of this shit further, we are all terminally online and we'll probably love having a chat with you. So shoot us a message. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We want to pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge that this is stolen land. <laughs>